Honesty is the best policy. We're told trust the experts and follow the science. But we all know that is, of course, unless it undermines a narrative on the left. Right now, people should not be walking. There's no reason to be walking around with a mask. One mask at least. But if you want to really be sure, get a tie to fit with the second mask. When the facts clearly disfavor them, we're supposed to look down and pretend we don't see what our lying eyes tell us. How about this? Shut your mouth. It's part of living in a world that is deeply unserious, and we're probably all, unfortunately, too accustomed to it by now. We're told to be tolerant and accepting of everyone. That is, of course, unless that person is a conservative Christian and thinks that, let's say, homosexuality is a sin. Well, then, of course, that difference cannot be tolerated in society. It's hateful, bigoted, ignorant, homophobic, claustrophobic, and probably arachnophobic. Just to put another phobia in there for good measure. We are especially asked to quit paying attention whenever facts arise that might disfavor a black person. If we dared to acknowledge, let's say, the fact that blacks make up only 14% of the population but account for 60% of all violent crimes, or that young black men are not in danger of being killed by the police because of systemic racism as much as, and way more than, at risk of being killed by other black men. According to the DOJ, about 90% of all black murders are caused by other blacks. It's an unfortunate truth, one we all know, but we're supposed to not notice it. If there's a young man causing a scene, disobeying traffic laws, or otherwise turning a normal situation into a police incident, it's highly likely that the cause is a young black man. If there's a heinous mass looting where an elderly person was beat up or a woman stomped into the ground, the race is not hard to guess. Now, of course, this is also true on the other side. The vast majority of school shootings are perpetrated by young white men. But let's not get it twisted. The vast majority of mass shooters take place in large cities around America, like in places like Chicago, and are typically perpetrated by young black men. But if we venture to say these obvious things, we can easily be misunderstood. And most people, because of that, will refuse to say anything like this because they are deathly afraid of being called a racist. But there couldn't be anything further from the truth. If young white men had a fatherless rate equal to that of the black community, there's little doubt that young white men would also be lawbreakers in the exact same proportion as young black men. This clearly has little to do with race and much more to do with society. But who is responsible for the cataclysmic decline of the black family in society? Well, there's two answers, but really they're one and the same. Come on, give me a break, man. BLM and the narrative that was promoted in the summer of 2020 has been going on for far too long. And it's told a generation of young black men that there are no consequences to your actions. In fact, when you loot and when you rob, that's actually an act of benevolence because you're taking back what Whitey has stolen from you. That's reparations. That is reparations. That narrative is supported by the second thing. The left instituted a welfare program long ago that made support dependent upon a father not being in the home, setting underprivileged black families on a course to have a single parenthood rate where it now sets above 60%. With no father and no police there to create consequences for a generation of young men, crime rates have soared. And one group is to blame. It's the group that told everyone to stay in their home during COVID, unless you're rioting and looting for George Floyd, then it's an absolute moral necessity. It's the group that made black fathers absent through their welfare policies. And it's that same group that exploits race every four years for electoral purposes. This group is an enemy to us all. And we need to gather around side by side and finally condemn them and what they've done to the nuclear family. And we'll talk about that more in our top stories today.
on IndieThinker. Welcome to the show. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. And don't forget to check out today's show sponsor. Our friends over at Anchor are your one-stop shop for all your business solutions. Do you need help with staffing? Anchor can help you with that. Maybe when you were looking at the resume, you thought your discernment skills were on point. And maybe you even thought breakdancing would be great in the office just to kind of break the ice a little bit, but now you realize that that made for one unproductive employee. Well, Anchor can help you get the right staff in the right place. They can help you with accounting, bookkeeping. They can even help you with scaling your business by creating business solutions that take you to the next level. Anchor can do all that and more, but in order to see all that they can help you with, you need to get the name right. You need to go to ancur.biz. That's A-N-C-U-R-dot-B-I-Z. And go over there today, and when you do so, let them know that IndieThinker sent you. And keep it the day with our subject about the family and solutions that can really revolutionize our society. I want to share with you a story about a young black man in Houston. So a black high school student in Texas was served more than two weeks of in-school suspension for wearing twisted dreadlocks to school. When he arrived Monday with the same hairstyle, he was suspended again. His mother said Daryl George, a junior at Barbers Hill High School in Mount Bellevue, was initially suspended the same week his state outlawed racial discrimination based on hairstyles. School officials said his dreadlocks fell below his eyebrows and earlobes and violated the district's dress code. George 17 has been suspended since August 31st at the Houston area school. He was in tears when he was suspended Monday despite his family's arguments that his hair does not violate the dress code, his mother, Dresha George, said. Maybe you noticed something poking through this story all throughout. The idea that this... inevitably has to do with race. I mean, this isn't the fact that this kid was suspended twice for the same hairstyle. Uh, it's that he's, he's black. This is why this is happening. Now, contrary to popular belief, whenever a person violates a specific dress code, uh, they are in violation of that dress code regardless of race and then have to you know, pay the consequences for that action. My, at least one of my sons has dress code at his school. And when he doesn't dress according to dress code, guess what happens? He, he has to face the consequences for that thing. But again, this is another way in which we're teaching a young generation of people to be disenfranchised and disillusioned and disappointed with the system and society rather than just doing something about the freaking hair. It's not that this young man was not able to even wear dreadlocks. It's just the way in which he was wearing it and that his hair was too long. You may not like dress coats like our friend Fetterman, but it doesn't matter whether you like it or not, like The Rock said. What matters is are you in violation of the dress code? So a couple things to pay attention to here that seem to be very obvious. The first one is, like I just mentioned, this is his second time of being suspended. This is his second time being suspended. It doesn't take a very intelligent person to understand that this has nothing to do with race. This has to do with the fact that this person either is being motivated by somebody influential that we'll get to in a moment in his home to try to violate dress code so that they can make this racial or that he just doesn't care about this, this dress code uh, violation and continues to break it. But this is his second time being suspended for this thing. Uh, if he really wanted to avoid making this an issue, all he would have to do is respond in the first place. But let's be honest, the reason he's probably not responding doesn't have much to do with him. 
It probably has to do with something else you should have noticed as I read that article to you, which is that the young man's father is nowhere to be quoted. Only his mother who said, his hair does not violate the dress code. That's interesting. So just because mama said it doesn't, doesn't mean anything. So it clearly does violate the dress code because this individual has been, uh, been punished twice for violating it. The real reason that this is happening, the real reason that this young man has been suspended twice for his hair and they're turning this into a racial incident is because these people don't want to admit that actually this mother is facilitating this kind of thing. Now again, either doing so because she wants to get on the news or doing so because she just doesn't care. This conversation is often typified by the left as uh, you know, right-wing conservatives allowing their white supremacy to show and you know, discrediting all the great work that single mothers do. I mean, back in the day when Tyree Nichols was beaten up by a bunch of black Memphis officers, by the way, which um, conveniently slipped out of the news because the officers weren't white, when Tyree Nichols was beat up by these men in a truly egregious way, um, there was a precipitating event, and that event was the fact that Tyree Nichols was racing through the street like a moron. And Jason Whitlock happened to suggest that perhaps the fact that this guy was doing that has something to do with the way that he was raised. And of course, that caused people on the left to get absolutely irate. Even Sierra coming out on her Twitter page and saying this. That Jason Whitlock, as a black man, to get on national TV and say something like, this is irresponsible. A lot of amazing kids have come from single mothers. For you to also undermine single black women in the midst of this tragedy is so sad. This woman just lost her son. Do better. Look, stop saying this is mom shaming. Just try to understand it as nuclear family building. It's time we started acknowledging the simple fact that boys especially need homes where their father is present. And whenever you see stories like these or the unfortunate story where there is a young black man involved in something that either physically hurts him or kills him, you can almost always, you can almost always know that there was a father nowhere to be found. It's a reminder to us that you can't violate God's divine law for the family and get away with it. Of course, single moms do the best that they can do and single moms do produce good kids. I don't know that I'm a great example of this, but I'm the product of a single parent. It doesn't have anything to do with race. And my mom did the best she could. She did a, a great job, in fact, I think. But it doesn't undermine the fact that she did the best job she could, but she didn't do the best job a mom and a dad could. That's what boys and girls need. And it's time for us to be open to acknowledging that without having people come along and say that by acknowledging that you're you're disrespecting what single moms are doing. No, we're not. We're just acknowledging a simple fact that moms need dads and dads need moms. And especially those kids need them both in the same house, present and parenting those kids. And it's not always a surefire way to create well-adjusted kids, but it's a much better way to get the kind of kids our society really, really needs. It's not mom shaming, but if we are gonna mom shame, um, we need to go to our next story because I have in the past been accused of victim blaming by saying, hey, you know, there may be ways in which the victim might have done something here that, uh, that might have been wrong as well. 
or maybe even body shaming when I've talked about Lizzo in the past and made fun of the body positivity movement as being uh, morbidly obese and just a death wish. But, um, but we've also heard about mom shaming, and I haven't participated it, uh, in it on the show, but I actually do have a problem with women whipping out their breasts and feeding their children in public, uh, simply because I'm just not a big fan of public nudity. Uh, nonetheless, um, I, I haven't talked about that kind of mom shaming, but there is a kind of mom shaming that, that we do need to talk about, and it's perfectly exemplified in this next story. In fact, I want to show you a video live from a recent event where Kim Kardashian is walking down the street with her little son, Saint, who is seven years old, and, well, you'll see it yourself. So here's Kim Kardashian walking with her son, Saint. Oh, and there it is, the bird. What a just a cute little man. Then mommy just gently nudging him to the side. If you want to be a good mom, oh, there's the bird again. And Kim has nothing to say about it whatsoever. Notice those other two children behind her, which I don't believe are hers, flipped a bird at anyone, only her child did. So this is a real stumper here. Who is to blame for a seven-year-old child flipping off a bunch of paparazzi kind of being out there around her mother? Now I know paparazzi are incredibly annoying, but this kid is seven years old. So let's just kind of rehash a little bit of, of history here. So not so long ago, Kim Kardashian was slammed for letting her child, her daughter North, who was nine years old at the time, post to TikTok. Kim Kardashian also is raising her kids in a single parent home after a very public divorce from Kanye. I know obviously Kanye has some uh, ridiculously crazy moments. And uh, so I'm not even gonna say anything about the divorce or whether or not it should have happened or shouldn't have happened because I have no understanding of what took place. Um, all I can say to you is that when you piece together the fact that Kim Kardashian lives a mostly self-absorbed life, looks for opportunities to show her butt and her breasts as often and as much as she possibly can, it's no wonder that this child has the kind of behavior that he does in public, especially when we see Kim not chastising her child. Sure, it's possible that she didn't notice it, but, um, but it's definitely something that if I as a parent saw, you better believe my kid would get a spanking right there in front of, in front of everybody. So the question remains, who is responsible for a seven-year-old flipping off a bunch of paparazzi? Now, you just think for a moment, Take some time to just consider who might be the real problem here. Is Saint just a disobedient little kid or is somebody else at fault here? So take a moment, think about it. I'll give you some time. Not too long though. We do need an answer. Maybe this will help. Yep, there's Kim and her sisters giving the bird to everybody in the camera. Well, if you guess that it is Kim's fault, then you are a winner. Johnny, what is his prize? Of course, all bad kids are not the result of bad parents, but at the age of seven, you better believe. The only reason that little boy knows what a middle finger is, is because of his mom. Now, it may be because of the people that his mother is you know, letting him hang out with, or the people she brings into his life, but guess who's still to blame? That mother. I don't know what it's like to raise a teenager, so I cannot say if this kind of logic still goes into teenage years, but I bet you, if I'm a betting man, it does, that all bad kids are a result of bad parents. But I can definitely tell you this. I have a seven-year-old son. 
My seven-year-old has no idea what a middle finger is and why you would flip somebody off using it. My nine-year-old has never seen anybody give a person a middle finger, never. And so I can't help but realize what we all know is that, is that bad kids really don't exist. It's just simply bad parents. And that's why it's so important in society to have the nuclear family intact and why it matters not just to you and to me, but to all of us growing up in this world. Because bad parents will eventually raise bad kids that become bad adults. Now, to see the opposite of that, I wanna take you to one final story in our final segment, Bible Study with Democrats. Oh God of pronouns. Now, Deion Sanders stirred up the ire of the left early in his coaching career because he had the audacity to be truthful. And for a group of people dedicated to the eradication of objective reality, they don't like it very much when you remind people of basic facts. But here's Dion doing just that. Like, like, like old Lyman, I look for dual parent homes, right. a strong father that they adhered uh, to, right. um, smart kid, three, at least three, three and above. You're also describing Hurts. Yeah, tough, well. I mean, uh, physical, I mean, offensive lineman. Defensive lineman is totally opposite. What do you mean? Single mama. <laughs> wow. Trying to get it. Uh, he's on free lunch. I mean, like, uh, uh, I mean, I'm talking about just trying to make it. He's trying to rescue mama. Like, mama barely made the flight. Trying to get out the mud. And I want him to just go get it. I, I, it's a whole different yeah. attributes that you look for in different positions. And we have that stuff just chronicle. We know what we want and we go get it. Huh. Mind-blowing stuff there. Look, there's not a person that doesn't realize that everything he just said right there is 100% true. But he didn't stop there. Dion also stirred up the ire of racial grifters and others on the left by leaving Mississippi, a historically black college, and went to Colorado, where he accepted a well, high-paying position. Here's him having to defend, for some reason, his decision to go to Colorado. Not being about a location, mm -hmm. but a destination. destination. When you speak of that destination, what's that destination for you? That means my calling is consistently to kids. Just because I'm not at a HBCU or historically black institution, that does not mean I'm still not called to our kids or just kids in general. I'm not called to a certain ethnicity. Hmm. I'm called to all. So my words, the way I speak, the way I go about doing what I do, the way we went about our jobs, it wasn't just black folks clapping. It wasn't just white folks clapping. It wasn't just Asian or Hispanic folks clapping. It was a multitude of people clapping because the feeling, the, the stimulation that you gave them. So I've never been called to a single entity. My call has always been much larger than what the eyes would ever see. That's right. He sold out on black people because he left one college football team with 99% black players to work for another team that has 90% black players. But of course, that doesn't stop the haters from coming and trying to find a way to hate this good and godly man. This past weekend, Deion Sanders experienced his first loss with the University of Colorado. And the team started 3-0, even getting ranked after a losing season. But jumping on the opportunity to bash Sanders, media outlets were quick to sound the alarm of defeat when this weekend he lost to Oregon. And of course, there were headlines that were quick to closet celebrate the fact that he lost. Here is Oregon's coach before the game saying that Deion Sanders is just playing for clicks, but we're playing for wins. 
The Cinderella story is over, man. Right? They're fighting for clicks. We're fighting for wins. You know, I don't think that's true at all. And I'll tell you why in just a moment. But first, I want to remind you of something I've talked about on the show before. That it is only when you do something of value and when you actually take a stand that people want you dead. It's only when you do things that matter that it puts a target on your back. Because if people don't know what you stand for, then they have nothing to attack. Very often, Christians get in the habit of thinking to themselves, oh, well, I'm just so loving and so benevolent. That's why nobody's ever in a disagreement with me. Well, it could be that actually you just don't stand for anything so people don't know what to disagree with you about. But Deion Sanders is, is, to be sure, a polarizing figure, and mainly because he happens to be a very outspoken Christian and a very outspoken critic about the way sometimes the black family operates in America, and he wants to do something about it. And that's put a target on his back for many, many people. He also happens to be a pretty good coach. And because he's good at something, trust me, there are insecure people out there who will go out and find a way to attack those people. The people who are actually doing something are typically always the target of those who are jealous and not doing much with their life. Now, let me be really clear. Uh, I get it. It's possible to have like martyr syndrome and to think that somebody's attacking you and really they're just attacking you for good reason. Last episode, I talked about Andy Stanley and, and he said that in one of the clips. I'm not sure that I showed it, but in one of the clips that I was sorting through, he says, people are going to attack us for this stance and people are going to misunderstand us, but we just have to know and we have to stand up and Listen, the reason people are attacking Andy Stanley or quote unquote attacking him is simply because he's wrong. And these people are trying to hope and help that he turns in a different direction before it's too late. So yeah, people can attack you because you're dead wrong and doing bad things, but they also can attack you because you're standing up and because you have values. As long as you never stand for anything, there's no reason for anyone to attack you. So that brings us to the second point. Our culture celebrates mediocrity because it has lost a total sense of beauty. Because our culture is wildly post-Christian, we no longer know what to celebrate anymore. And so now when a person declares that they are not really the biological sex that their birth certificate says they are, somehow we're supposed to celebrate. We have a whole month set, dedicated to celebrating who people have sex with. I mean. Who was it that made this joke? It was Dave Chappelle who made this joke about black people get one month in February and LGBTQ people get a whole month in the most fun month of the year in the middle of summer. So frigid cold versus summer and what? These people get this just simply because they declared that they want to have sex with somebody different than what their biology dictates. Nonetheless, our society celebrates the kind of mediocrity that we see in the body positivity movement and in other things. And as a result of it, we no longer know what to celebrate. This brings me to the remembrance of Piss Christ. Maybe you guys are familiar with this. And if you're not, I submit it for your, for your observation. A man stuck a crucifix with Jesus on it in a jar of piss, screwed the jar on, and then this supposed work of art was brought around different museums in the world to see this amazing and beautiful thing. Now, of course, this guy suggested that all the attention being drawn to this jar of piss with Jesus in it was actually a way of weirdly celebrating Christianity and not absolutely mocking it and defacing it. But the fact that this would even be at a museum and considered art is ridiculous. 
the reason something like that happens is because as we have taken away good from society, we no longer know what to celebrate as beautiful. Without Christianity, or without even a moral standard in society, with just my truth and your truth, there is no way in which we can understand beauty, because there is an objective nature to beauty. Sure, there is some subjectiveness to art, to be sure, but largely the things that are truly beautiful are a universal thing that draws all of us to it to recognize it as beautiful. That's why we instinctively know Van Gogh's Starry Night is beautiful and Playboy in nudity is not art. We distinctly know deep down in our heart there, there is an objective quality to, to beauty and to the things that should be celebrated in society. And that's why Deion Sanders isn't as quickly celebrated. Because Deion Sanders is actually doing something fundamentally good. And that's why when he lost to the Oregon coach, he didn't really lose, or at least he didn't lose in the most fundamental way. He didn't really lose because he's a winner in life, because he understands that his job as a coach is not only to win football games, but to produce men. Check out this clip where Deion says exactly that. I'm a darn winner, man. That's what I do. Not only a winner, um, my winning is not based on games. My winning is based on life. I want these kids to graduate, to be fine young men, to open doors, and yes, ma'am, and no ma'am, yes, sirs, no sirs, to be fathers, not baby daddies, right. to be real men that shows up on time and early, that if they say they're going to do it, they do it. I want them to raise young women with grace and class and dignity. I want them to graduate. I want them to own things. We teach so much other than just football here. It's unbelievable. That's why I always say, if you send me a boy, I'm going to send you back a man. And I mean that 100%. Bravo. You see, Deion Sanders can never truly be a loser because he is a winner in life, because he set his heart and his mind on a value system that is higher than this world. Of course, the media and others will be quick to attack him because they want to try to find, you know, holes in his armor and try to find a way that they can expose him for being a fraud. But the truth is, is that it doesn't matter what the media says because he's not living for the applause of those liars in the legacy media. He's living for the applause of one. And as a result of it, he will get the applause of many people here on this earth because he's actually doing something worthwhile. He understands that by and large, many of the kids that are on his team will come from an unstable family, come just with, with just a mother in tow and a father nowhere to be found. And he wants to step in and play that father role because it may be the only father some of these boys have ever had in their life. See, he knows something that even the people who claim a religion on the left don't really know, that values and ethics must be imported to the next generation, that we can't just say, you do you. We can't just take the progressive attitude of forget what the, the past holds for us and any truth that's there. We're just gonna, we're gonna create change, even if the things that we're changing don't need to be changed. We're gonna, we're gonna create a new way of doing the family and it's just gonna be single women or single men. And we're gonna do that because we don't need to obey your Judeo-Christian belief of what the family looks like. We don't need your patriarchal, uh, Bible-centered understanding of what a family is. We, we can recreate family in this nation and we can do it any way we want because we are our own gods. That's essentially what people are finding over and over again doesn't really work. The inculcation of values to the next generation matters and it needs to be done by men of value and men with ethics and men with hearts and with chests. 
And that's exactly what Dion's doing. And that's why he might have lost to Oregon, but he's winning the most important battle. And more of us need to join the fight. Whether it's your kid or maybe even somebody else's kid who needs a dad in their life, it's time for us to step to the plate and restore this institution that matters to society, perhaps almost more than any other. Thanks so much for watching. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe if this was helpful to you. But most importantly, go with God.